All right, seven days later, and we are keeping <laughs> to our promise. We actually did it. Yeah, and it. Are you surprised? Definitively, I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Without question, I am surprised. Yeah, I mean, we have we have shown no precedent for <laughs> for <laughs> two weeks in a row. Yeah, yeah. Are we going to have anything to talk about? Um, well, it doesn't take much, I don't think, uh, <laughs> to get us to talking. Um, but I guess we can jump right in since last week, uh, there's, that topic is still fresh in my mind. We talked about Jesuit poverty. Um, yeah. So I maybe wanted to first just start off today's episode by reminding everybody that we have homework that's due in Ooh, yeah. two weeks. Can you speak to that? Have you, have you been reading? I have been reading. Uh, it's become my bed t- bedside reading. Uh, that I yeah yeah me too that I do before I go to bed because it doesn't really take a lot of effort to to understand what he's talking about partly because yeah I think my experience in the classroom confirms pretty much everything that he's saying yeah you know it's it 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 makes a lot of sense and so I wonder about that on one level because of our, I think both of our experiences teaching mm-hmm. right around the time that he's talking about um, a lot of it resonates with us. Um, but also, I think the book is just written well. Like, it's very accessible. Oh, totally. Totally. Like, he's, you know, he's, uh, he teaches graduate students business ethics, I think. Jonathan Haidt. I don't know about the other guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a social psychologist, I think. And so there's a lot of opportunities for him to use super technical, jargony words. Right. And he just doesn't. Right. He speaks very clearly, very plainly. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, I really enjoy that. Good. So why don't you remind us, what is the book that we're recommending for our homework? The book is called The Coddling of the American Mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, something, something, something. I should, probably should have called that up before <laughs> I... Let me do that really quickly. Uh, Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt. And here we go. Greg Lukanoff, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas are setting up a generation for failure. Yeah, yeah. This is a this is a really good book so far, and I don't want to spoil our review for later, but just to yeah. remind everyone to read it, um, because it'll be worthwhile, and we're going to talk about it in two weeks. Yeah. One of the things that I've been most surprised by so far, and I'm only one chapter in, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm getting there, I'm getting there, uh, is the fact that we oftentimes attribute like all young people's foibles and weird things to the millennial generation. Mm. And the thing that they're really making clear is that the millennial generation really ended at 1995, Mm. which I don't think a lot of people think about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a little, little primer to hopefully peaks pique some interest so out there yeah yeah absolutely and i think uh that'll give some good book I, I have some other book recommendations that i'll give after our review that that touch on that particular topic of what where do you draw nice. the line between the generations um yeah 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 well good so we'll leave that there but i guess uh just to begin some follow-up from last week uh have you been thinking any more about where we were talking about last week we i think we finished off by just talking a little bit about the valve poverty extensively i guess but um we didn't really resolve anything i don't think no, no, we didn't. And we actually finished talking about, um, finished the episode talking about the, um, Covington Catholic controversy. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And that um, conversation led us to talking a little bit about the call out culture. Um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what spurred this whole book club. Yeah. Thing. Okay. Good. Good. I have one follow up piece for the poverty piece. Um, so t- just before we started recording this, <laughs> I turned in my, my, I do a monthly retroactive budget. So I have to turn in my receipts and turn in all of my, 
expenditure reports for the month. Uh-huh. Uh, and I just did that uh, and turned it in. And I'll tell you, man, every time I do this, every time I do this, I am scared <laughs> that that I'm going to be called out for being an overspender. Like I just, yeah. I, this is part of my frustration with with uh, the vow is that like, how do I know that I've spent enough or not enough? Like where right. <laughs> where is the line? Yeah. Um, like with 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 the other two vows, like there's a clearer sense of like, okay, I know I'm not being obedient. Or I know that I'm yeah, not living yeah. as chastely as I ought. But with poverty, it becomes really difficult because it's like, oh, this number looks really big. Or, yeah. you know, there's sort of like an interminable well, calculation yeah. that can happen to minimize that number. And it's like... That's an interesting way that the witness factor can be kind of a reverse, you know, because we can be very scared by big numbers a lot of the time mm-hmm. when we're not used to mm-hmm. them. And like, just think of cost, the costs that families have to go through. Like growing up, I can only imagine what our weekly grocery bill was for six kids, eight people right. in the house. Like, you know, and so we're we're worried about personal things. At the same time, we've got communal expenses. At the same time, you know, so there's all these things going on that we're oblivious to, mm-hmm. like tuition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Right, right. See, but it's a lot. Yeah, I guess there, there, this is part of the handicap, I think, with, with our way of life in terms of money is that I think normal people who earn money and store money and then budget to expend, uh, to spend, they have a sense of yeah. how much is coming and how much is going out. Right. So they can, right. they can budget well. Um, yeah. With, well, and that's part of knowing what a gallon of milk costs or, or uh, a tank of gas, mm-hmm. you know. Whatever. Well, so like I think uh, about this sometimes because there's there's apps that help you budget, and one of them that I use is called Mint, or I had been using Mint for a while. Um, yeah. But Mint was causing me some problems because it kept asking me to put what my income was to help me budget, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I kept putting zero, like zero. <laughs> so every month I was in the red. <laughs> it's like this month you spent five hundred dollars yeah. but earned zero. <laughs> yeah. Well, it might be helpful to break it down per month and to say, okay, well, I get this much personalia, so I'll just say that I earn that much per month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, you know, whatever my phone bill is, I'll put that in as a monthly expenditure, right? even though I only pay it every quarter or whatever. Yeah, I guess what I need is a simpler, I need a simpler app than just Mint because Mint, I think, is tied to my bank account. And so they see, yeah. they want to know like how much money is going into the bank account. Oh, I see. And the, I see. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah, answer yeah, is always different. zero. Uh, zero. So like maybe I just need to write like a Google spreadsheet or something and make it make yeah. it to where I have a clear sense that every month this is what comes in and this is what comes out. Yeah. Um, Google. Gross. Yeah. Well, okay. So the reason I, I mentioned this is just because I, I just did this uh, not too long ago and I was thinking to myself, you know, this reminded me when I was younger and maybe even a little more pious than I am now, I started thinking about <laughs> like, what would be a good catchphrase for Jesuit poverty? Like what would be like, a good way to summarize the vow. And I started thinking, this mm. was, I was younger in the society and I, and I thought, okay, you know, when it comes to doing good and doing the mission, we say magis, like do the more, uh-huh. do which is for the greater glory of God. And so a play on words for that, I started saying, okay, well, with the vow of poverty, why don't we do the, the opposite of the magis, which is the minus. <laughs> so the, the, <laughs> the minus or minus or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and that's that's what we're after is is the uh-huh, uh-huh. the less so not the more but the less. Um, Do you find that helpful? I always I usually forget about it, so I don't. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I'm wondering what you thought about that. Can I push back? Can I push back? Yeah. So 
I agree with basically, I think what you're trying to do here is to look at how can I do like the minimal thing and get by. The problem that, that we run into, that I've run into is you start putting off things like going to the doctor mm. or I've, so a good example, I've got terrible allergies. You know this, I've got, you know, there are days when I wake up in the middle of the night because I can't breathe. Mm. And so is it poverty to not buy allergy medicine? It's really expensive. Oh yeah, I don't know. Mm. Or I don't know if you've run across this, but I've, I've heard this a couple of times. I've heard it from superiors and ministers that say, look, the society gives you a personal allowance. If you're not spending anything, that's almost just as bad as spending too much because that means you're not taking care of yourself. Hmm. And so that would be an extreme of going and spending too less. Right. Or looking at the less too much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it's just hard because in your case, the finances that you have, you have them all in one lump sum. In my case, I retroactively ask for money to pay for my bills. Right. So right. it makes it difficult because you, you have a bottom line. Like you literally can't spend more than X because you only have X in your bank account. So you're more, well, you're more like a real person in that sense. Um, <laughs> for, for now, like you, we don't do bank accounts except in studies. Mm. Oh, true, true. So the retroactive payment is going to come back in, into full force once you get ordained. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's what we did in Dallas. Yeah, that's true. I guess at that point, like it's kind of how I'm living right now, is it's more of a question of habit. Like how do I cultivate good habits of, I mean, the word minimalism comes to mind just because that seems to be the way that people think about poverty is how can I live? Like you you were even saying it last week, like how can I live simply? What does it mean to be simple? And, you know, we use the word detachment from objects, but also all things being equal, you would probably get rid of more clothing if you could, if you didn't need it. It's yeah. so like there's a minimalism yeah. trend that it seems fits in well with the way that most of us think about poverty. Do you do you think that the yeah. word minimalism applies well with poverty or no? You know, I do. I think so. Uh, to an extent, to an extent. You know, one of the so anecdotally, one of the things that I was I've been thinking about recently as I'm anticipating moving on and going into uh, ordained ministry is my wardrobe. Hmm. Uh so I guess to preface I'm I hate buying clothes. It's one of the things that I like the least in life. <laughs> really? <laughs> to purchase new pants and new shirts. Because, you know, I've got weird proportions, apparently. <laughs> you got, I've got little, tiny arms. little short legs <laughs> and tiny arms. And so it's funny. People think that I roll up my pants because it's like a fashion statement. <laughs> and it's literally because I can't buy pants that fit properly. <laughs> And so it's a miserable experience being reminded of that every time I have to buy a new pair of pants. Jonathan's, Jonathan's got the torso of a man, but the limbs of a child. <laughs> oh, it's true. We put our fingers on the on the uh, most insecure parts of ourselves on this show. That's right. That's right. But uh, go there, Jonathan. Tell me, no, tell like, me about how that makes well, you feel. So, well, I'll tell you. My pa- my clothes are falling apart because I wear them, obviously, and I hate buying new ones. So they're they're all kind of old. And so I'm going through this weird, this weird process of saying, you know, I really don't want to buy a whole new set of clothes when I'm going to be wearing mostly black, mostly clerics 
and like years to come. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah, they're kind of ratty old pants, but I did. Uh, okay. It's for everyone's peace of mind. I did buy new clothes, <laughs> a new pair of pants and a new shirt. Yes. Everyone's peace of mind. Uh, everyone was very worried about you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. that's right. All of our one listener out there. That's right. Uh, so like, how do you, yeah. How do you play that? You know, am I, am I worried about keeping up, um, keeping up a fresh up-to-date wardrobe when I don't wear the, I don't wear regular clothes as often mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as a regular person. Right. Uh, and then, you know, there's the whole thing of clerical wear is ungodly expensive. It is. It's a niche market. Um, it's, it's ridiculous, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which honestly, and this I think goes into something that we're going to talk about a little bit later. I've really been throwing around the idea of learning how to make my own. Your own clothing. Yeah. Just, I wonder if it's, well, and I wonder about the cost analysis, the cost benefit of that. If it is in fact cheaper just to make my own clerical wear, you know, and even things like an alb or vestments or things. Yeah. Yeah. But just because they're so expensive. Right. But even there, you, you admit that the word cheaper has something to do with our vow. Like, your 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 interest is in spending less money also. So yeah. that's part of the vow, right? And I think that's that's a simplistic way of looking at it, but I guess it's a true piece, is that there's like we've maybe 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 this is helpful just to put a like a bow on this, uh tie this this question up of poverty in a nice bow, is that there's like there's a spectrum certainly of experience. And on one extreme you have guys who show no care for how much you spend yeah. and you know, living the lap of luxury and always buying new clothing, always buying the latest gadgets and everything, and then not a care in the world for the witness factor, et cetera. And then yeah. the other extreme is you have guys who don't buy their allergy medication, who don't buy new clothing ever, who um, refuse to see their family because it'll cost too much to buy plane tickets, right. et cetera. Right. So we want to stay away from those extremes. And so there's a happy medium somewhere where the life of virtue perhaps can be found. And how is poverty of virtue that's cultivated within us? Well, it's between these extremes, you know, that we find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but I, But maybe, maybe like on this line, the middle, the middle is not a point where we say definitively this is what it means to live poverty. But maybe that middle is just a segment where there's there's yeah. wiggle room there, um, because because it doesn't really there's not one size fits all, you know, for for how to live this correctly. Um, you know what I mean? And maybe that's where discernment fits mm-hmm. in well is to say like, okay, you're gonna yeah yeah there it is is that we do employ discernment well when we say, okay, I'm not living on the extremes and I'm living, trying to approach the middle to find the the right balance, yeah. but I'm also yeah. open to discerning and saying, no, I really do need a computer and I'm going to buy that computer and I'm not going to be a fool and buy a Windows machine or I'm not going to be a fool, you know, and buy something that's just going to break in a year. I'm going to buy something that'll last. And that's a discernment uh-huh. piece. You know, I, I don't like chalking it up to discernment as sort of like the end all be all, but it kind of is, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I I think so. And that's a big part of our life that I think, unfortunately, we don't put enough emphasis on. You know, we, and this is something that I'll I'll talk about till the cows come home. I don't even really know what that saying means. (laughs) But at any rate, um, is that the right thing to say? Yeah, you're from East Texas. You don't know what it means for the way till the cows come home? No. Well, I grew up with cows across the street, but mm, well, okay. I, I think okay. If if I can enlighten <laughs> if I can enlighten you, being from uh, Houston, knowing all about how farm life happens, uh, 
Is this like waiting for them to come in to eat? No, is I think the idea is that the cows go out to graze. Uh-huh. And then they come home at night to go to sleep. Yeah. I see. Okay. At any rate, <laughs> uh anyway, I think uh a big part of our lives is built around discernment. Mm-hmm. And not this kind of silly, oh well, you know, I can't actually make a decision because I'm in this constant state of discernment. But doing in a sense, a kind of um, daily calculus, right? You know, to use uh, uh, the utilitarian language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how is what I am doing? Is what I'm doing leading me closer to God and a simpler life? If so, okay, I'll keep doing that. If not, yeah, what's yeah. wrong? And how can I? Fix that's it? good. That's good. And I guess maybe the the opposite of the majus is not a helpful way. Of- and we do that through prayer. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, maybe maybe the opposite of the majus is not the ideal word to use. Maybe the word majus is, is that, you know, our mm, our yeah. poverty is to discern what is going to lead us to praise, reference, and serve God the most without yes. um, without scruples, you know? Because um, yes. that's the other thing, is that we can tend to be a little scrupulous. Like, I turning in my, my budget form today was, I was being very scrupulous about, like, oh my gosh, I spent, I spent, like, $10 on toiletries last month. Like, that's, yeah. Yeah. what is that about, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Try try telling that to a a uh, a young couple who's just had their first child. Like, well, you got to be careful how much you spend on those diapers. <laughs> right, right. It's like, no, nowhere in their discernment is that going to come in. Sure. It's like you get what the child needs. Right, right. Okay, so this is a really good segue because I I wanted to bring up something that I listened to the other day that doesn't really have to do with poverty per se, but it does have to do with simplicity. Um, uh-huh. or as we were using the word minim- minimalism, um, I asked you to listen to an episode of a podcast. Can you, can you share with us what that was? Yeah. The, uh, the podcast was called the daily, nope, the art of manliness. Yeah. Yeah. That's a website that I think you're familiar with. Overcast. Are you, fa- uh, are you familiar with that website? No. So the art of manliness is a website that does a ton of stuff about like old timey, you know, ways to do like manly things. And it's a very, Ooh, I do that. Yeah. It's like very hipstery <laughs> type of like, um, how to do things with your hands, how to have old, uh, habits of shaving and, you know, how uh-huh. to become a good person also in terms of virtue, yeah. but just sort of manly conversations in an old timey kind of way. And yeah, I do the shaving part. You do, you do. Um, what is interesting is that the episode that I listened to recently that I wanted you to listen to, which I recommend, even though I don't agree with most of what the guy said, um, is called uh, Digital Minimalism. And becoming Episode 479, Becoming a Digital Minimalist, if anyone wants to go. Yeah, to so to you it. listened to it. Can you give us a quick rundown of what you remember? Yeah, so it's this guy called Cal Newport. Um, it's his third visit to the Art of Manliness podcast. Mm-hmm. He's got some other books, but in this one, he wrote a book called Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World. Right. Um, and the show is about, you know, something that we talk about, the struggle with social media and the addictiveness of it and how to, um, well, and how to com- combat, combat that uh-huh. and how to learn how to use, use these technologies and these things well uh-huh. rather than let them dominate our, dominate us. Right, right. So... I don't know if you have any thoughts about the episode, but there was one thing about it that there, I have two thoughts about it. One is a criticism and the other one is something that I liked that he said. Yeah. Well, before we get into that, why don't you, if you remember, um, 
So they had they broke it up into kind of two parts. They talked about what the problem was, and I think that's pretty simple. And then looking at some solutions, right? And I think okay, so, uh, so. The problem, if you don't mind summarizing the problem, talking about that. Yeah, I yeah. think the problem is, if I remember, I listened to this a, about a week ago, but um, the desire you the, didn't write notes? the desire is to cultivate a kind of minimalism that you see in the culture already. There's a sort of movement that people have for decluttering and it's become kind of a hip thing to declutter your house and people go on these sort of like decluttering minimalism challenges where they eliminate objects yeah. in their life i have a really good friend who did one of these things and for 30 days you're supposed to get rid of objects in your house so like on day one you get rid of one object on day two you get rid of two more objects and then on and on and on until day 30 and the the goal is to simplify your life with sort of these sorts of things now the the episode we were listening to wants to apply the same sort of logic to the digital world because in the digital world, there's a lot of clutter. And the clear problem is, is that we don't usually pay attention to the clutter in our digital lives as having an effect on our well-being, but that requires the same amount, if not more attention to fix because we're so kind of blind to the impact that the clutter in our digital lives has mm. uh, yeah. on us. I think that's one aspect of the problem. And the other aspect of the problem is... You know, just the things we've talked about a lot in terms of how social media affects, you know, our attention span and also our ability to learn, our ability to communicate or lack of communication, even though we're supposedly more connected. Is that how you remember it? Yeah. You know, they were talking about, so the looking at the way that certain apps and things like Facebook are may, are intentionally designed to exploit this compulsive, um, this compulsiveness in our, in our personality the addiction yeah you know yeah 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 so things like upvotes likes they want you to always be aware that people are thinking about you and if you're not getting likes then you're not being thought of and therefore you know etc etc et so it taps into a lot of the technology taps into the like primal need to like be paid attention yeah. to and to right. uh, be validated right. and it does for communal life yeah and it does so in a way that is superficial right like there's a a, yeah. a single tick you know saying affirmative or not or how many upvotes and i i'm guilty of this with even our podcast i constantly refresh our podcast and see how many people are listening or not you know um <laughs> yeah because there's a sense of validation from that you know do you do you experience that too i do you know it's funny um so one of the things that i've been doing recently is i recognize that i was using reddit way too much and so I remember when I when I sent you a message. Uh, oh, it was when we started using Slack um, for podcasting. Uh, I replaced Reddit, the Reddit app on my home screen with the Slack app. Uh -huh. uh, and this was actually before I had identified this as a as a serious problem, not a serious problem, but a problem. And so I find for me when I move things off of my home screen, just the act of having to search for them even though that's what I do for the majority of my apps anyways. Um, I only do that when I'm thinking that I need to do this. And that extra step makes me do it less because mm. I'm not looking at it on my home screen. Sure, sure. And then, well, and then I just had to make a con conscious decision to to kind of take a take a break from it. Um, and not having it on my home screen helps helps with that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I'm not I'm not doing that. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's good. I mean, it, the detachment piece is is important there because you were finding yourself distracted and and moving away from what like authentic 
human encounter, perhaps maybe spending too much time on Reddit? Well, but yeah, 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 that, obviously. And just, you know, oh, I'm standing in the grocery line waiting. Oh, I wonder what's on Reddit. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a little, a little much. Um, but funnily enough, you know, when we made the move to, um, to Fireside, remember the Pulse app from SoundCloud? Right. I would check that way more often than I do because I have to actually go to the website to check and see how many people download the show. To, and yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And there's a couple of steps to get there. And so I was like, Oh, well, I'll only do that every once in a while, a couple of times. Yeah. So I don't check our stats as often as I did when we were on SoundCloud. Yeah. So, okay. So I think here's my, my critique of the episode um, that we listened to about digital minimalism. Um, the, the thing that I didn't like about it is that it, it, it applied a very either or, mentality yes, yes. to to the digital world um and also and i'm going to say this i think as brashly as i can i felt like it was, there was also a very naive way of talking about like you know the real world is out there in nature and um yeah, yeah. go out and experience the real world and it's just a very simplistic and very naive i think way of saying like okay what we experience online is not real right so we just, I, I think it's just it it assumed its own conclusion, right? Like it was like, mm -hmm. I want to prove the point that this is artificial and not worth our time. So I'm going to assume yeah. that and tell you that it's better for you to go outside. Yes. And I just find that kind of simplistic argumentation a little bit unconvincing um, because what I, I, mean, I would rather a more nuanced approach than saying like, okay, how, how do we, how do we engage? Certainly. Um, but also what, what, where is the real problem? Like, is the problem in the technology or is in the problem in our use of the technology or abuse of the technology? I, I don't know. I feel like a more nuanced approach would have been a little bit more helpful because I feel like just saying, you know, it's good to declutter and to have authentic relationships and not just have friendships online is right. it's kind of a trite thing. People say that a lot and it's like, okay, but no one is eliminating, you know, right. their, their online presence. So there's, well, there was a, there was a point in, in their conversation when, this guy made the argument that most digital minimalists don't have an online presence. And so can you even really call that a digital minimalist? And instead of being just not a digital person? Yeah. Well, I think he calls it minimalism because he, he does something that I do appreciate, which is he says, how can I minimize, minimize, not minimize, minimize my <laughs> online presence to efficient yes. and useful ways. Yes. And this is actually yeah. the thing that I liked the most about his, his position. Uh, do you remember what he said, what he, what he recommends people do? Uh, remind me. So, so he did say like, you know, to uh, deal with the addiction and all that kind of stuff to go through long fasting periods and then adding back pieces that are actually necessary for your work or necessary for your life. And fair enough. You and I have talked about that ad nauseum, right? About the importance of yeah. fasting. But I think one of the things that he said that I thought was really great is that we should treat social media as training wheels. Yeah. I thought this was really an interesting point. If if we started thinking about our online presence through social media as preparation for a more mature kind of presence, and I think this this right. this uh, follows up with our conversation about the Covington Catholic people, is that if you think about Twitter and Instagram and Reddit and all that as sort of like training ground for how to be online, well, this is like the sandbox, and it's clearly this is grade school like mm -hmm. nonsense, people bickering and fighting or whatever. And where is the mature yeah. conversation? 
Right. And so his recommendation was that everyone should own their own domain. And so uh, you yeah. should have www.jonathanharmon.com. You should own that domain name. And then you should funnel your online presence through that website. Mm-hmm. And then all of your social media can be linked through that. But if someone wants to engage with you or you engage with them, it needs to happen in an official way online through your domain with your real name. Yeah. Yeah. I I really like that idea. You know, that, and I I really struggle with this idea that things happen have to go through big kind of big business, you know, Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, then you're not online. Well, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. You know, I've, so this is going to sound weird and a little bit contrived, but you know this about me that I've been critical of media since before it was cool. Oh my God. <laughs> to talk about fake news and all that, all that nonsense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for this very reason, you know, like, just it just doesn't make sense to me that I have to go to these random people to hear about what's going on in the world. Can I just hear it from the world? I remember being in Bolivia one year, um, watching the new. This was when that big nuclear um, meltdown happened in Japan, uh, and I was really shocked at what I saw. There was this guy walking around using Twitter as a way of kind of crowdsourcing, like where do I go and who do I talk to and how do we find out what's going on here rather than some guy in a newsroom halfway across the world telling me what I should think about this thing. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. And so at, at best, I think that that's what it could be where you've got people that may genuinely know a lot about this thing that I want to know about Okay, I'll listen. Or here's people that are actually there at an event that have an experience of what's going on. Okay, I want to listen to that too. Yeah, okay, but this I think you're contradicting yourself because it was you last week who were complaining that the Covington <laughs> Catholic thing was a bunch of videos that were communicating a false story. Yeah. Well, it wasn't the it was it was the editing of the videos that was con- um, conveying a false narrative when you actually saw the thing actually, and saw what actually happened. Well, no, I think so. I think what actually happened was that there were multiple angles of the yeah. event from different recordings. Yeah. And some of the recordings didn't have the full story. And I think it wasn't until yeah. the full video was put out. So it is raining really hard. Oh, is that what that noise is? Sorry. Sorry about that recording. A little. No, yep. It's okay. It's not. It's. We'll be able to hear it's that. It's nature, you know. <laughs> so I think your your point is not well taken yet because you know that that experience of the Covington people that was yeah. you know that was on the ground reporting from people who had their cameras and they didn't convey the full story and so yeah if you, yeah yeah if you yeah. didn't have news well, outlets that were able to then synthesize the information in a way that was official then how how do you know who to yeah. trust? Yeah, I guess my pushback for that example is that the official news reporting didn't do that like they were taking the home videos and running with it Mm -hmm. as the official story yeah that's it that's right that's right so i think okay and so nobody was really doing it we're all of us are still treating this as the um you know the training wheels Mm -hmm. like we're not actually taking this to a deeper level yet Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm 
Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, so like if CNN and Fox News and BBC and, you know, the Wall Street Journal, all these people who are news reporters um, at behave like social media platforms and yeah. then just jump on whatever they see first, then then we have the degradation of, you know, the news. The news just becomes um, whatever is trending right now. That's what's news. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess that's a problem. So. So you 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 don't dislike news. You dislike you know when it's just individuals who take a piece of the story and turn that into the whole story. Right, right. Like it needs to be a longer process, and that's exactly what the internet is telling us we shouldn't do. Right, right. So we want immediate immediate feedback. Right, and so remember and remember remember answer. last week we were talking about like. The long form reading, the long form listening, like that's a, yeah, that's important precisely because that's where you get depth of conversation and depth of insight. You know, right, I, right. I am always struck, and I always remember uh, my first insight, like my first in uh, the first in inroad that I had into philosophy was studying Plato, uh -huh. and Plato's dialogues are long and sometimes really boring <laughs> because yeah. there's no plot. You know, it's just. You're listening to one guy talking to another guy and in the conversation yeah. between them, you know, insight into truth ultimately surfaces because you're allowing the dynamic to unfold. Right. And over the course of the entire piece, like if I were to read Plato's Republic and stop halfway through, I would not understand anything. And right. if I tried to make claims solely based on the first half of the book, well, then clearly I am misinformed. But this very long right. text allows me to appreciate a full arc of insight. And I think that's one of the best things about the long form. And so when we were talking last week about like long form podcasting or long form reading, like this is why moving to to that that style of communication, I think, is so appealing to us, you know, is that right. I'm not interested in tweets anymore. I'm not interested in even Reddit posts anymore. What I'm interested in is, gosh, can someone just talk to me at length about their perspective mm -hmm. and then I can agree or disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully that's what we're trying to accomplish here. And I think, you know, there's, you know, I was talking about this in class the other day. I've got this vocalizing theology class. It's really cool. Uh, and I was saying, you know, I think there's, it's not insignificant that we're seeing a decline in people's attention span, you know, through social media and whatnot. And yet there's seemingly, and this might just be the circles that I that I run in, there's an increase in a desire for long form conversations, for podcasting, for you know, things like mm -hmm. that. And I wonder if there's a natural cycle here. You know, because we did go from from an oral tradition culture to the written word culture. You know, people hundreds of years ago would have they they wouldn't trust things that were written down because you can write down whatever you want. That doesn't make it true. But hearing the story from my grandma or my grandfather, that's truth. That's the story of our people. Mm. Uh, and why would they lie about that? Because you're not going to lie to me to my face. Right, right. Uh, and you can trust your and grandmother so, and your grandfather because you know that, exactly, that they're good exactly. people. And so I'm wondering if the rise in long-form podcasting and youtube stuff is a part of our natural desires to get back to that yeah i see that so uh okay so i'm gonna make an analogy again <laughs> with philosophy just because i think it's helpful yeah, um yeah 
So in, in Aristotle's rhetoric, he describes the three aspects of good rhetoric. Do you remember what these are? No. Uh, Jonathan. Okay. <laughs> I have a degree in philosophy. You do have a degree in philosophy. <laughs> and <laughs> Wow. Uh, wow. There's the endorsement right there. You too, kids, can forget everything you learned. So the yep. three the three aspects of rhetoric for, for Aristotle, uh, so as soon as I say them, you're going to remember it, and you're probably going to make a joke about the three musketeers. I guarantee it. So it's <laughs> pathos, logos, and ethos. Aramis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> so it's pathos, logos, and ethos. And the idea uh-huh. is that to communicate well requires these three dimensions. And the, the most obvious one is that communication is good communication if there's logos, yeah. if there's like quality mm-hmm. in the information. We know that. But then there's the, eth- the ethical or the ethos, and that's the consideration of the listener. And is the listener being spoken to in the mode that they can receive it well? Mm-hmm. Right? There's, mm-hmm. there's something important there. So if communication is going to succeed, it's not just what you say, but it's how you right. say it relative right. to who's listening. But then, and this is the most difficult one, is there's pathos. And pathos has to do with how is it that the speaker communicates in his own self that he's trustworthy. Hmm. And the Hmm. message is communicated with more authority if the person speaking it is someone that you respect. Yeah. So it's not just that you said the right things or that I was willing to hear it. It's also, I trust you because you're a good person. Right. Maybe I got pathos and ethos right. backwards, but that's the basic idea is that one of those two applies to each one. Right, right, right. So when when your grandmother mm. speaks to you, there is an authenticity in her witness because you love her and you know that she cares about you. And so whatever she tells right. you, you're going to believe her. You yeah, know? you don't question that. You know, and sure, like if the logos of what she's saying is bad, you'll question the logic and you'll question the message, but you won't question her. Right. Which is truthfully, Jonathan, I think one of the reasons why lying is such a grave sin is because mm. if mm. if you are trustworthy and then you commit the crime of lying to me, then that's a betrayal because I yeah. trusted you. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a it's a deep personal betrayal. Like, I don't know you anymore. Exactly. There it is. And so my, my thought about this digital minimalism piece of, of everyone opting for their own domain name, I think is important, is that put your name on the thing and yeah. have, have yeah. you know, you know soon to be fatherjonathanharman.com. Like, that website mm-hmm. has all of your social media handles, but it also has your blog, and it also has your portfolio of your artwork, and it also has a place where you can message people, uh, receive messages and prayer intentions. And your name is on it. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, tell me what you really think. You know, we say that in jest a lot of the time when somebody's complaining or whatever, but like, I think that's something that we're really missing these days. Like, what do you actually think? And not what's, don't tell me what you're supposed to say hmm. or what you think I want to hear, but tell me what you think. And then we'll have a conversation. Right. Yeah. And it usually takes a long time for me to tell you what I think. And I, th- I think this <laughs> yeah. podcast is evidence of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, so how do you how do you then think about digital minimalism if it's related to this topic of like integrity of communication? Yeah, yeah. Well, well. So there's a couple of things. You know, w- one of the main things that I think um, something that I've said before. You know, there's a fundamental issue here that I don't think we're addressing. And this is the basic 
I think, the basic, um, the underlying truth of the spiritual exercises. Uh, you know, the very beginning says we're to conquer our desires, to order them rightly. Mm -hmm. So who's in control here? Is it things that are going to distract me? Or am I in control and able to use these things well? Mm -hmm. So I think that's the big one. And one of the things that I really appreciated this podcast bringing up is the um, seeing the danger in our lack of like trade skills, of abilities to do things with our hands. Mm. Um, you know, to declutter and to order, to right order one's mind. I think. So I think, especially, and this was their argument that we as men are especially um, equipped to do that. And that's why somebody, and he made this example, like, that's why somebody like Ron Swanson became so popular, right. even though he was meant to just be apparently this, you know, comic relief goofball, but he really resonated with a lot of people. Yeah. And his character became much, much, much bigger than what they anticipated. Right. Right. Because he was speaking truth, like, son, put the phone down and do something with your hand. Mm. He would often tell to Tom. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and so... I'm going to bring it back to Tolkien, as I like to do. Here we go. <laughs> There's a really, really, really wonderful story, short story called Leaf by Niggle. Uh -huh. um, that listeners out there, if you've not read it, I really highly recommend it. Um, it's somewhat allegorical, which is uncharacteristic of Tolkien, but it's still very, very good. And it basically follows this artist who finds himself in kind of like a little labor camp, to be honest. It's the dark. It's this dark room, and uh, he's he's forced to do manual labor. Okay. Well, the thing that he learns from this manual labor is how to order his time, and so he starts finding joy in these little breaks that he has between his jobs. You know, oh, I've got I've got a few minutes to catch my breath. Now, you know what? I'm really enjoying catching my breath mm. and enjoying that peace, that quiet. Uh, whereas before he was so scattered that, you know, he would waste his time. And so there was no peace. There was no um, right order to his mind or to his actions. And so, too, I think, you know, with this, um, this that's why it's so important to have, to know how to do something with your hands. You know, to be a carpenter or, you know, I'm, and this is, this is I'm calling myself out, to be a painter. I don't do it enough. Uh, I don't practice it enough. I'm too distracted a lot of the time. And I really, really want to. I was just watching a cooking video yesterday. You know how I like to watch cooking videos. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, and I found this new channel. I'll share it with you later. This guy has... Um, he said something really, really striking to me, really profound. He said he was talking to somebody, encouraging them to... you know, just doesn't really matter. Just cook. Pick, pick up a pan and start cooking. Mm. And this person told him, well, you know, I'd like to, but I just can't. I don't know how to, I can't cook. And he said, it's not that you can't cook. It's that you don't cook. Hmm. And it's the same thing with me and painting. It's not that I can't do it. It's that, to be honest, I just don't do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's true with anything that we do. You know, we, we talk about discipline kind of abstractly a lot of the time. It's like, no, at the end of the day, You've just got to do it in order to become better at it. Right. Okay. Um, so, okay, hold on. You're losing me a little bit. That was a lot. Well, that was a yeah, lot. Yeah, that's good. But you're losing me a little bit. Just connect the dots for a second. So, like, 
because I think there's something here that I just don't understand. Because the guys, we're t- I'm talking about right ordering one's mind. Okay, and the act of doing something helps with that. So I'm not as distracted by things, and that's usually for me at least when, you know, when Twitter comes in, when I'm bored. Mm. You know, it's like, oh well, going back to this Reddit in the grocery line. Well, I'm just standing here waiting on this person to pay with, for some reason in 2019 to pay with checkbook. I'll check. Wow. Wow. I'll check Twitter. So hold on. Okay. So this conversation started with digital minimalism and the move that people seem to want to declutter their lives and declutter their online presence and to, to re, like reclaim a sense of like ownership over their attention and over their uh, yeah. consumption of digital media. And somehow from there, we got to, we should be using our hands in the physical world. So yeah. I don't disagree, but I need to, I need you to loop it back. How, how is it that that, like if I if I took because I don't disagree, but if I took up carpentry for some reason, how how it is how is that helping achieve the same end of the the thing that people did, the digital minimalists are trying to achieve? So this is I think this is where we were where you were at the beginning saying you know, and I agree with you saying that the this podcast was trying to draw too big of a distinction between the digital world and the real world. The real the real world world is this very specific thing that I'm going to define right now. And anything other than that is bad. Mm. What I'm saying is, and I think this is what they were saying as well, through things like trade skills, through carpentry, painting, etc., working with your hands, um, you're getting, you're getting a, um, you're getting that response, that positive response that you would, that you think you're getting from social media, from these likes from something that's a little bit more real and that you can now have an authentic interaction with somebody who's, you know, who you're going to show it to or something, Mm. or really even with yourself. I think that's an even more important, you know, I can talk about prayer all I want, but I won't really know it until I do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, I think when we're on Twitter, we're just talking about the thing instead of doing the thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Now, okay, this is where my mind has been going since you've been talking. I I do wonder, and maybe this is a little bit of self-disclosure, I, I just, I wonder, like, sometimes I do wonder, like, how little I have to show for, like, all the things that I do. So, like, you know, I spend a lot of time reading and a lot of time writing for school, but truth be told, I have very little to show for it. You know, like, yeah, I have papers and stuff that just sort of end up nowhere. You know, I give them to my teachers and then they give them back with a grade on it and then they end up scanned and filed away on my iCloud somewhere. Yeah. You know, but like maybe 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 the the anxiety or the like existential dread that I feel sometimes that while I'm sitting in my room, that existential dread sometimes I I satisfy by just going online and just scroll, 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 scroll. But it is yeah. is perhaps a better anecdote for me to become a carpenter <laughs> like to to me for me to actually learn how to use my body for good things like to be creative you know i i have very few creative outlets this show is probably the most creative thing that i do um which is not insignificant but it's just i wonder if that's that's part of it too and maybe that's what you're saying is that like engaging the physical world with my hands will help like tame my mind a little bit and focus my mind um yeah and I think we can do that digitally. Like I think this podcast is a great example of that. Like even though we're engaged with something 
um, that goes out in the on the internet, and then we promote it with Twitter, Twitter, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still, yeah, we're still producing something. There's something to be shown instead of oh, this is a paper that nobody ever sees. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm interested now. I. I feel so. Uh, I haven't told you this yet, but one of the things that I have been thinking about a lot this week, um, I started listening to another podcast um, that I, I was sort of desiring more podcasts to listen to, and um, I stumbled upon Conan O'Brien's podcast that he started back in October. And I know you don't really like him, but I find him to be—I find <laughs> him to be pretty funny. And the podcast is worth listening to, but uh, you know, as a warning, it is crass, and the the kind of humor there is colorful and there's profanity and stuff so if you don't want that then don't go there um but he had an episode with um that i just listened to with megan mullally and nick offerman uh-huh. uh who are married in real life you know these people oh, you, tammy tammy yeah tammy one no sorry ron and tammy yeah ron and tammy two uh are <laughs> are married in real life and they got to talking a lot about how ron ron uh how about how nick does <laughs> does all of the woodworking for all of their furniture in their house uh-huh, um, uh-huh. I don't know. And so we just got to talking, like listening to that episode got me thinking a lot about, I don't do anything with my hands that's really all that yeah. constructive. You know, I don't, you know what I mean? Even, even, even writing, I don't do really with my hands anymore. You know, I, yeah. I clank on my keyboard, but I don't, you know, I don't really script anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and still, you know, it seems on one level a little contradictory for us to be talking about minimalism. And looking at how we can do more, like how because that's the whole appeal of of modern technology is it, it allows you to to do more with less. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have to know how to bind paper into a book. I don't have to know how to construct a chair. I just go buy one. But I think I think if if I if I may, the thing that we're talking about here is not so much about doing less. It's about doing things with more quality uh, and more intention and more interaction. Yeah. And also perhaps with more integrity, like there's, yeah. you know, my putting my whole self into something, you know, how, especially yeah. as a graduate student, I do find that my life is very cerebral. Like there's, yeah. there's not a lot about my life that's very physical just because I sit, I read and I write. And that's pretty much the, ex- yeah. the ex- well, that's part. I mean, we've been called to do that by our province, by our, you know, by the provincial mm-hmm. for this time. Mm-hmm. That's not our, that's not our life. That's, for right now. Right, right. Hmm. Well, I'm going to leave it as homework for myself to maybe pick up carpentry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Find something. I should. I should. Um, well, I think we have time for... I think there was one other... Let's pivot really quick to something else. Um, Ooh, yeah. Why don't you just mention what you said to me, and we can just open it up and see how that goes, and then... So, yeah. Here's a problem, mm-hmm. David. I'm listening. This has now happened to me a couple of times. Um, and I want to be very careful here because even though these things weren't said in confession, I don't want to dare reveal anything about any particular person. But there are things that I've noticed come up in myself and in a lot of other people. So hypothetically, somebody comes up to you, David, uh-huh. and they say, you know, things have been really tough recently. Um, my parents are sick. My brothers and sisters are living far away, so everything's down to me to take care of everybody. And I just feel 
like God is calling me to suffer right now. Whoa. Like there's just no other, you know, this is, this is a test. God is testing me. Mm. And my suffering is the only way. Well, yeah. What do you think about that? Well, at the outset, I'll just say the truck outside your door has to stop reversing at some point oh man it, it happens all the time how, how long so does gross. it take for a truck to reverse oh bro we're in berkeley but he's probably not even reversing right now he probably just thinks that sounds cool <laughs> he just threw it in reverse and just left <laughs> yeah it's bad okay it's so bad. uh what were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember anymore. Oh, goodness. Uh, okay. No, this idea that, that people can think that God is calling us to suffer. Mm-hmm. That God wants us to suffer. Okay. That God wants us to be in pain and confused and all of these things, which seemingly are contrary to what we know about God. Well, okay. So, Namely, that he is love. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But goodness and yeah, all that. Yeah, okay, okay. But uh, I'm going to... I'm gonna, getting louder it is it's like backing into your door it seems um i'm gonna i'm gonna take i'm gonna take the perspective of agree agreeing with that position <laughs> it's so ridiculous okay we can't talk about this now because it's just it's gonna, uh, how, how, about, how about we table it for next week <laughs> okay let's do that did it finally stop oh wow well it's not beeping but it's super loud still <laughs> okay well i have a thought and the thought is that somehow, <laughs> sorry, what? Some somehow we have to save the the proposal that, like, if if I am experiencing something, can't we say that God permits me to experience the thing? Yes, and see, that's very different, and that's what I try to convey. Um, I guess I've just not been having much luck. You know, God doesn't call. God is not the cause of sin in our lives. Of course not. I am the cause of sin in my life. But suffering and sin are not the same thing. They're not the same thing, but oftentimes I suffer because guess what? I'm a human being. Right. And God created me to be a human being. And so to, to, to try to pretend like, you know, this is the fault of a prosperity gospel. Like if God is, if I'm suffering, that means God is not blessing me or whatever. But that's not what that person said um, to you. What they said to you was my suffering is God's will. Yeah. Not it's not it's like I I'm not blessed by God, therefore I suffer. It's yeah. the blessing God has for me right now is a time of suffering. Yeah, and I think I think there's a better. I just think there's a better way of looking at that. That's not God wants me to suffer, but even in my suffering, because I'm a human being, God will work. True, true. But I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. Okay, that God does good through evil. Absolutely. Um, and suffering is a form of evil, and it's an experience that is not desirable. Um, but I, I do wonder whether or not uh, there is like a subjective element to suffering where we experience suffering, even if the thing that we're going through is something that is good for us, like like yeah. surgery. You know, that there can be there yeah. can be a subjective experience of suffering when this is a medical thing for my good. So, you know, so God does give us struggles and God does give us, you know, trials and, and, and crosses to bear, you know, that's not to say that God is malicious and is trying to hurt us, but is, I mean, how do you nuance that? But the part, the, I mean, I just find in some of these cases that I come across, there's just a defeatism 
that says, well, I just have to suffer right now. Mm. I have to be miserable because this is what God okay, wants. Yeah, that that's that's like that's bordering on despair, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yes. And to call that God's will, I find crazy. <laughs> right, right. For lack of a better well, word. Yeah. Okay. So at the end of the day, suffering should not lead to despair. If, if yeah, it, but if, like we can't minimize pe- minimize people's like authentic, uh, you know, sometimes just things happen, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's going to be bad. That's true. That's true. I guess you know I've been thinking about suffering a lot lately, just because I've been going through some difficult things this semester with school, um, and you know, just generally with my life and planning my life and everything. It's like you know, making difficult decisions about where I'm going to live next year with school and like trying to put in applications for my next degree program and being rejected to one and hoping for another one, like those kinds of struggles. And they're not huge life altering struggles, but they, they cause pain, you know, feelings of rejection or feelings of, you know, wondering where, where is God leading me next? And that can be a form of suffering. But throughout all of that, I do keep asking myself the question, how is God leading me in this dark valley? So for me, Psalm 23 is always clutch in that regard, mm. is that, mm. you know, the good shepherd does lead me to green pastures, but also leads me through dark valleys. Yeah. And it's not just that I, I tumbled a, off of the cliff and I ended up in a dark valley. It's that right. he can also lead me through a dark valley. Yeah. And not leading you into the dark valley. Because we say, lead us not into temptation. Yeah. But leading us through the dark valley. Right. Right. So God is in the suffering. Even though you know yeah. God is not necessarily punishing me uh, with right. with pain, um, right? There's a nuance there that's important. You know, like rather rather than asking, or rather than sort of like resigning myself to saying, "Well, God is clearly punishing me," saying, "How is God allowing this to happen so that I might grow from it by His caring hand as He leads me through this dark right. valley?" Right. Um, right. It seems like you agree with me, right? Like that's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's just, I guess I'm not, I'm not frustrated with the, res- I know the answer to this problem. I'm frustrated with the, uh, I guess my, maybe I'm just getting too worked up when I'm talking to these people and not, I don't know. How do you, how do you talk to people that are convinced that God wants them to suffer? Hmm. That's what I'm. That's what I'm wor- wondering. Maybe, maybe a good question to ask them is: Okay, I'm not going to disagree with you right away, but I want to ask you: How do you experience God's love? Yeah, and just see how the, what they say. Like, because if they say, "Well, God wants me to suffer right now," and then you say, "Okay, we'll leave that there," and then separate from that, I want you to tell me how do you experience God's love, and yeah. see what they say. Because if they say, "Well, yeah. I experience God's love uh, through suffering," then you have to ask yourself the question, okay, well, if you experience God's love through suffering, how, is that how a good parent communicates love to their child? Mm. <laughs> is, to, mm-hmm. is through punishment? Um, yeah. And then maybe just walking them through, you know, maybe a, a little bit of a, a meditation on what does it mean for God to be a, a loving father? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting, though. I mean, you're going to be dealing with this a lot now that you're going to be a priest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is going to be, and I think, you know, Bishop Barron talks about this a lot as being the only real question that atheists have 
like the only good question. Like, why is there suffering in the world? Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Mm. Uh, he he he'll tend to turn it on its head and say, "Well, that's a good question," but I think the more like mind-boggling thing is, given that, given that there are so there's so much evil and suffering in the world, how the heck is there good? Mm. Like, how do we have good people? That is a really good question. That's a good way of phrasing it. <laughs> Putting the emphasis on the miracle of the good. Yeah. Rather than on, you know, like the evidence <laughs> of the bad. Right. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good, that's good. Might be a good point to end on and to maybe sit with that. Because you and I both have been certainly experiencing suffering in our lives, you know, in, yeah. in the last 35 years of our lives. And so, yeah, it gives me, yeah. it gives me pause well. to think about that a little bit. As we record, people often wonder what this random string of numbers on tattooed on my arm is. Mm. One four uh zero two one five one four. Is it zero two one five? Yeah, today. I was wondering if it was today, because I knew it was really close <laughs> to your birthday. And your your birthday yep. was two weeks ago. Yep. And today as we record, this is the uh one four, the fifth anniversary. The fourth anniversary. Of fourth anniversary of my mom's death. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's Let's uh let's cheers to your mom. I'll cheers that. There is hope. Uh what what's your mom's name? Let's pray for her. Deborah. All right, we're going to pray for Debbie. Amen. God bless her. Amen. All right, dude. We'll catch up in 2 weeks Bro. now. 2 weeks. And we're going to talk about that book. So, finish All it. All right. I'm going to I have it right next to me. <laughs> it's in my hand and I'm going to read it. Cuz this week is yeah. oh, and my spring break. Ah, uh, nice. Before we sign off, uh and if anybody's still listening after all that ranting, if there are any, if anybody wants to read along, feel free. Uh, and if there are any questions that you'd like for us to touch on with this book, let us know. Done. Cool. All right, cool, man. Uh, right, we'll talk later. Peace. Cool. Cheers. Cheers.